Hello, welcome to another episode of TGE, the podcast. With me is my buddy Tyler, and today the show is all going to be about the Peter Jackson documentary called We Shall Not Grow Old and some other stuff. I'm very excited about this one. Tyler, how are you? Good. How are you, Sven Papa? Doing well. Can't complain. The host of the podcast, The Nameless that's right. Just like an editor, no name, no appreciation, no no awards. We don't want to be appreciated. <laughs> oh, we actually on this podcast are, are against the idea of there even being an editing Oscar. Right, 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 right. Totally. <laughs> the Oscars. What happened? But first of all, before we get into that, that's that's a tease. We want to thank everyone who listened to the podcast for listening. We want to thank Dennis for all the wonderful videos he's been doing on YouTube. Those are going to be dialed back a little bit. We very much appreciate everything that he did, and we appreciate you spreading the word about the podcast. Don't worry, we do support editors getting Oscars before you go spreading the wrong word. And apparently, according to Apple, if you say, hey Siri, subscribe to this podcast, your iPhone will subscribe to whatever you're listening to. I keep trying to find a podcast worth trying that on, but no podcast has told me to try it. So now one just told you, so try it. I'm going to unsubscribe and then have Siri can Siri unsubscribe me too and then resubscribe? I'm going to try that. But only Sven try it. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> it just doesn't work. Everyone just vanishes. <laughs> and we appreciate the comments and feedback. And where where did the comments come from again, Sven? Um, they go to thisguyedits.com slash podcast. Let's do it there. Awesome. That's like our main hub for the podcast. So you'll see all the episodes there. And then if you click on any specific episode, you'll see there are comments there and you can leave them there. I think if you're a Facebook member, if you're not a Facebook member and you prefer Reddit, you can also go to thisguyedits.com slash comment and we'll pick those up as well. Nice. And we normally analyze a scene on this podcast, look at a specific scene that we break down, talk about the techniques and tricks used in it, but not this week. This week, the Peter Jackson documentary is such a unique experience that we're just going to be talking about it without looking at a specific scene. So we don't want to spoil the experience per se. And it's not an experience you can really have unless you see it in theaters in 3D, as you'll learn. But Sven, about this Oscar controversy. So we posted literally between the time between the time I finished uploading the podcast and Sven put it out, the Oscar controversy happened. And it was so tempting to record just pull it down and record an emergency intro, but we decided to wait and see how things played out, and now they have. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on this controversy, Sven, of the Academy Awards deciding not to broadcast the acceptance speech of a few different departments, cinematography, editing, makeup, and hair, and then it was like short animation or something like that? I think short film. Live action oh, short. Jeez. Wow. I don't know. Some form of short. Um, yes. What do you think I thought about this? If, I think. If you had to bet. I mean, I think that you just saw an opportunity, which, <laughs> which was that he wanted to do the, live, the acceptance speeches live on the This Guy Edits YouTube channel. Um, <laughs> no, just kidding. No, no, no. I immediately uh, went pretty verbal about it. I tried to be an influencer and like get my people behind the idea that that's not a great idea at all. I mean, if you think about it, 
uh, this guy edits is all about showing that editing is not invisible. We want to celebrate good mm -hmm. editing. And the idea that you would pick certain categories in filmmaking and say they're less important than others, they don't deserve to be treated the same way, I think is outrageous. I know there's words sort of trying to explain that's not what it is. You're still going to see mm -hmm. the whole speech. We're just going to cut out certain things. But the fact that you're treating somebody different, it doesn't matter whether it's the editor or the guy who's just made his first short. We're all right. the same. We're all filmmakers. And unless you do it with the actors and the directors at the same time, everybody should go up there. Everybody should take the time that they need to be celebrated and to thank the people that got them there. And so for my part, I tweeted about it. I retweeted all the different directors that came forward The Editors Guild came forward. The ACE, the American Cinema Editors Association, came forward and spoke out against this. And there was a petition that was signed. I, I got everybody that I could to sign this petition as well. And I think they got to 15,000 by the time that then the Academy decided maybe that's not a great idea. <laughs> well, I think they realized it wasn't a great idea and by the time they finished backpedaling. Yeah, well, it was interesting because on Thursday, they were still saying we're holding firm. We like This is being misrepresented. People are taking this out of proportion, out of context. And then on Friday, they finally turned around and said, okay, fine, we'll do it. I had a pretty short right. statement of fine. We'll look forward. But they to still stand it. behind it. Yeah, they still claim it was a good idea. I don't know. I don't know. I. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that the industry is not behind it, even though the way that they got there in terms of the process, and that's what they were trying to explain. Like we asked all the di different departments if this would be, if they would be a co okay with <laughs> this. We asked different departments to volunteer, not to be right. to be the ones. We showed them <laughs> what that would look like, and we tried this, and we edited uh, previous um, award ceremonies down to show it, and they got it all signed off, and they did it right. And the guy who's in charge is a cinematographer himself, mm -hmm. and it still doesn't make any sense. Even though the process maybe was done very sensitively, um, it's you're still treating some people different than others and that's not right well it felt to me like just such a sickening gut punch because obviously we care a lot about editing we think a lot about it i mean i've taught about it for over 12 years lectured about the importance of it and really understand just from ourselves and the people that we know that do it how incredibly underappreciated it is yeah and yet incredibly important it is which is fine. It Part of the job is being underappreciated, right? Part of what the editor does is successful if no one really notices it's being done. That's sort of a great compliment. But the problem is there's really only one. I mean, there's sure there's different awards, there's editing awards and stuff like that, but there's really one opportunity to get national recognition as an editor no one ever talks about editing on talk shows, nothing. No one ever mentions or comments on the editing because it risks taking you out of the film. So the one night that a very small handful of editors and the amount of people that have done this job for generations 
and get a chance to be rightfully appreciated was taken away. And of course it, it affects cinematographers and makeup and short filmmakers as well. But this has kind of always been a thing with the Academy Awards of, I guess the show's more important part. I remember one time seeing, it was like the winners for best documentary short film. Maybe it was best documentary film, go up to, or best foreign language film, go up to accept their Academy Award. And they're working in a genre where that's, again, you're only going to get international attention for it once in your life and go up to give their speech about a film that was about something incredibly powerful and incredibly meaningful, and they got played off so that Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson could come out in costume to plug Starsky and Hutch in a sketch. And it's always just like, I mean, it's just so horrifying that, you know, these people put their lives into this, and that's what the awards are for. That's what the actors should be there for. That's what everyone should be there for. And, of course, there was a lot of outcry from filmmakers and stuff like that about this, Rightfully, but ironically, I didn't see a lot enough outcry. This is subjective, but nowhere near enough from actors None. who are not also filmmakers. It came after the fact. I feel after like after the fact, right? And you yeah, and you might have Clooney's and stuff like that, but that's a filmmaker. Yeah. And even still, I think it's I mean, in terms of those four roles, cinematography, editing, makeup and hair, those are four things that an actor has no control over with what they're doing with their performance. They work with the director, they find the performance, all this other stuff. But these are four people that are for positions that are spending their lives and careers making the work that these people do better for cinema. And I mean, it's always underappreciated, whatever. Again, it would take you out of it to, to over comment on it, but it would have been nice to see a little more uproar given the uproar that that community is clearly capable of a little sooner it felt very uh it's still it's still bothersome to me the lack of compassion that came from the screen actors guild side of things thank god for guillermo del toro and alfonso cuaron who came out pretty much within 24 hours and they got the ball rolling and uh, i want to um, read the statements of both of them. Just real quick, I think it was even shorter than that because I felt like when I was still within those few hours of us finishing and posting the podcast, I'd seen the Del Toro statement was like, okay, someone said it better <laughs> than we would have in a tweet. That's so true. It came out on the February 12th, <laughs> which was a Friday, is when they made mm-hmm. the statement, I believe. Um, hmm. Did I get this? Well, right? my timeline's all screwed up because I podcast went out monday right and the 12th was tuesday podcast went out monday night so yeah that's yeah. i mean i'm looking at the tweets now right i right. assume the date that i see there is that not the date when i retweeted <laughs> you know what it is the date when i retweeted <laughs> i retweeted on february 12th so there must have but made... isn't that what matters Sven? yeah so <laughs> first one was guillermo del toro and he corrected his statement so i'm going to read the corrected statement because he wanted to to make sure that he got it right. He said, I would not presume to suggest what categories should occur during commercials on Oscar night, but please, cinematography and editing are at the very heart of our craft. They are not inherited from a theatrical or literary tradition. They are cinema itself. Yeah. Which is nice. I really appreciate that. I mean, that he sort of... It's a perfect statement. Yeah, that he um, specifically said not cinematography and editing. And it's, uh, in a way, I'm really happy that it happened to both of these at the same time because he sometimes there is a little bit of a competition going on between those two departments in terms of who matters mm-hmm. more. 
Um, <laughs> and it shouldn't matter. It's like I think all 24 hour, uh, all 24 awards should be treated the same way. I don't want to make a distinction yeah. and be there like, yeah, pick somebody else, pick the sound department. I don't think that makes mm -hmm. any sense. Okay, then I'll follow. Well, yeah, go ahead. You know, with the different departments, it's so interesting because you see a lot of this, especially working in film schools, entering the film business, that there is this stigma around setting out to become a director or something like that. And then, ooh, you ended up being an editor or you ended up being a makeup person or you ended up being a crew member. You ended up being the driver. When, when you work in film and you actually work on sets you get the opportunity to realize that every person in these positions is the top of the top in terms of professionalism. They're elite experts at what they do, and very few people in the world are going to have the talent and ability to, to rise to those positions. So it's funny just how kind of underappreciated and overlooked that is in general, with the exception of Paul Giamatti when he accepts awards. Mm -hmm. He always thanks the crew. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just thought I would th throw that in there. Nice. So Alfonso Cuaron, whose film was nominated for 10 Academy Awards this season, he wrote, In the history of cinema, masterpieces have existed without sound, without color, without story, without actors, and without music. No one single film has ever existed without cinematography and without editing. Nice. Yes. Love it. And I think no. that's that was huge if... If those two directors wouldn't have come out, especially Alfonso Cuaron, because he's going to mm -hmm. be the, the, the man of the night, I think we might be in a different <laughs> position. I don't know. Maybe not. Well, who knows? It's last year's winner and this year's winner. Yeah, uh, true. I think that it seemed like they really started to change when the letters and stuff came out also. Yeah, then there was an open and letter that I saw Scorsese and Christopher Nolan signed and some other people where there were a little less nice about it they were a little bit more <laughs> forceful about it right um, and it's the same generally the same the same group that circled when filmstruck was going under yeah robert de niro signed it uh denise villeneuve is that how you pronounce it the guy from arrival yeah i'm just waiting to hear one actor that's not a director that that signed it is all all i all i want to hear right and it, it sticks a little raw it, in me it Sven. does and i'm gonna i'm gonna do something else i'm gonna um, I'm not going to quote him because I don't have the quote here. But if you know anything about film history, you might know Podovkin. Podovkin is a Russian filmmaker slash teacher that Stanley Kubrick describes at his as his idol. Like this is where he learned filmmaking from. And Podovkin said, Vasilvad Podovkin. Yeah, um, he said that. The editor has a bigger influence on the performance of an actor than the actor himself in terms of how the editor shapes that performance, picking the right take and then pacing it out and deciding how to use these building blocks that shots are, performances are to tell the story. That's that invisible part of editing that most people don't see and that is our mission to let people realize how powerful editing really is. Yeah, and again, not to overlook anything else, because as editors, we're dependent on everything like everyone else is. We need right. that amazing cinematography that adds so, so, so much to it, the it wonderful makeup and hair, yeah. the acting, the writing. 
the directing. And they should Everything. add stunt people to that should be the next category. And I I have a tweet here from Elisabeth Ronalds-Dotte, who's the editor of John Wick and Atomic Blonde. And she said, now let's get stunts acknowledged with a category as well. Yeah. And maybe just quit doing such a shitty show, Oscars. How about how about you work on that? Exactly. Don't worry about lessening the reason you're there. <laughs> it can't be that as hard as you make it. it I swear. Yeah. You, it can't be. You're supposed to be storytellers, filmmakers, showmakers. <laughs> you can make this happen. You can figure out a way how to put it into three hours and make it entertaining. Or how to put it in four hours, if that's how long it takes. But make it entertaining so people watch it. The problem is not the awards. Right. That's part of the the mystery. <laughs> that's the reason. Yeah, that's, that's why people are tuning in for yeah. the awards show. So I'm glad that it isn't an experiment that they tried. And then it... I, I kind of felt like they were going to go through with this and then it was going to go away next year. It wasn't going to be tried again. But I, I'm glad that the precedence is set and this will probably never happen again. Or if it does happen, then it should happen to everybody. I guess my evidence is, and there's no evidence for this, I'm just pretending it's there, but someone can stop me. But I never hear of someone who's gone back to watch an Oscar sketch on YouTube, but I've certainly heard a lot of people go back and watch the acceptance speeches for the fucking awards yep. because that's what it's for. And I think that just with the changing of technology, maybe to some extent, you know, things are changing and maybe this award show just got too big for itself at some point. And maybe, you know, with the ability to watch the stuff after the fact, no one really wants to sit through a three hour award show. But still, you know, these the ceremony is the ceremony for a reason and, and the honors must be given. Good, good, Even good. though that kind of contrad, I'm kind of saying what they are, which is like, I oh, just watch it later and re-edit it. Whoops. I mean, just there's some such moving speeches also from people that aren't professional speech givers, you know, that aren't professional actors that get this opportunity. Anyways. Good. We got that off our chest. So speaking of Os overlooked Oscars, right. um, I'm a little stunned, though, again, being garbage and haven't seen all <laughs> the nominees for documentary film. Um, I saw a lot of documentaries this year, but somehow none of the ones that got nominated, a lot of great ones. Slightly surprised, not for whatever reason, not because anything's best or worse than anything else, but because, you know, we have someone who's won a Best Picture Academy Award, right? Right. Made a documentary that was a considerable achievement. He hasn't got any recognition, but has made a tremendous amount of money for a documentary in a very re limited release pattern. And it's very rare, you know... I don't think... Have I ever talked you into going and seeing a movie in the theaters, Sven? Probably not. This might be the first one. Because I go see movies all the time, and there was pressure from the podcast for him, you know, listeners, for him to go see Bohemian Rhapsody, which I think is still still, still a possibility. And he actually went and saw this one on my, on my pleading recommendation, and we knew exactly what time he was going. He's in the theater. I was fully aware of it. I never texted or anything because I was just... You know, I, I was anticipating the reaction being shared on the podcast. So mm. what do you think of They Shall Not Grow Old, Sven? I loved it. I um, I was a little worried about my 3D glasses because they were dirty. <laughs> and right. I was a little miffed because they were like wrapped up nicely in this plastic bag. <laughs> and I expected them yeah. to be clean. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, my God, I see a smudge there. But I, I, I can't. <laughs> I have to live with it because I'm just going to make it worse. 
And then right. I started watching the film and it didn't matter. I was like, I was in it. It was, it was so good. And I thought it was amazing. I, not amazing, right? I thought it was really smart that they waited for this 3D effect to start or the color or the, like cleaning mm -hmm. up the footage, the whole thing, until they were at the right moment in the story where it would make sense to like expand our mind. And yeah, and speaking speaking of the story making sense real quick, let's set up what, what we're talking about yes. real quick <laughs> for the listener. And if you haven't seen this documentary, I don't think that we're going to be spoiling much. I don't think that it's a movie where you can spoil much because it's footage that we've all seen countless times. Just, just, you know reinvigorated in pretty astonishing way. But the movie we're talking about is They Shall Not Grow Old, the documentary that Peter Jackson spent years making about World War One, a true passion project that he gives a wonderful introduction to in which he was approached by the British War Museum, I believe, with this footage saying like, hey, we have an anniversary coming up. Could you do something amazing with this and he said uh i don't know i mean what can you do with this there's not much and then you know threw it in the computer as he says and they started tinkering around and lo and behold it turned out there was a tremendous amount that could be done with it resulting in this astonishing movie that not only has been colorized with painstaking accuracy but also had sound added to it and not only that but dialogue and and it's 3D which is a pretty amazing achievement and, yeah. and that's how Sven and I both saw it and not only is it random dialogue but it is actually the words that these people most likely said because they actually had somebody uh, lip read the uh, the people on camera and try and figure it out to some just incredible detail where somebody even like made a speech before they went off to fight and they found mm -hmm. apparently the piece of paper where he wrote the speech on and then they peter jackson's just himself in his iphone started recording the speech and they laid it against the footage and it it came to life like his lips would sync up to what the guy was saying and then they got a got a performer to to do it for real pretty incredible to be able to see this footage and actually hear what they were saying yes and it's it's truly 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 mind-blowing and sickening i can do a little bit more setup here okay so it was actually the imperial war museums archives where the footage is coming right. from and it's peter jackson's first documentary as a director although he directed a mockumentary in 1995 called Forgotten Silver, mm. and he produced... Yes, yes, which is great. ...a documentary, he produced it, called West Memphis 3. Helping the Paradise Lost Kids, which is another amazing HBO documentary, if you want to look at different documentaries. No, the thing I wanted to add that never came up in the movie that I was kind of curious about, although I guess his passion obviously extends to Forgotten Silver and his family heritage and stuff like that, but the other thing that's odd about this is that World War One's almost the source material for Lord of the Rings because that was hugely influential on the writing of those novels. And there's even a movie being made about it now, the, the Tolkien story, where you get to see the extent to which that influenced him. But a lot of what was written about in Lord of the Rings was based on his experiences in World War One, especially including Mordor, mm -hmm. which is based on a lot of the battlefields that, that you get to see um, in some of this footage. Yeah. And Jackson has also personal attachment to this project because his grandfather to whom this film is dedicated fought in the war and so he intended to make this film to be an immersive experience 
of what it was like to be a soldier rather than a story or a recount of events. The crew mm -hmm. reviewed 600 hours of interviews from 200 veterans and 100 hours of original film footage to make the film. And the title was inspired by the line, they shall grow not old, uh, so that's a little different, as we that are left grow old from the 1914 poem For the Fallen by Lawrence Binion. Wow. Then here real quick, it premiered at the BFI London Film Festival and at the same time in selected theaters in the UK. That was in October 2018. Then it aired at the BBC Two in November. They did a limited release uh, in December in the States and it became a box office success and the film received a wide theatrical release just in February 2019. Um, yeah, that's about and it. Made 14.3 million so far in the States. Which is incredible for a documentary like this that's had so little promotion and that's what we want to help with is if it's still playing, get people to go see it because it's really, really an incredible experience. And the other reason we want to talk about it on this podcast is for those of you that are interested in post-production and what goes into it, I can't think of a better example of the power of post-production and what can be done right. than this film. Because this film shows you not only what can be done with an image, the incredible extent that it can be taken to. And there's a wonderful 30-minute documentary about the making of the documentary that Peter Jackson attaches to the end of the film if you see it in theaters where you get to see their process which is mind-blowing in and of itself but you get to see in terms of post how all these elements sound dialogue color everything can be added after the fact and often is and you really get to understand oh if you can do that with black and white footage that's over a hundred years old or exactly 100 years old, what can you do with, you know, a wonderful digital image that's captured, you know, as raw as possible in color with sound from the actors' performances now? Yeah. In a way, this is kind of the ultimate documentary because unlike scripted narrative features, a documentary, you, they always say um, in, in narrative features, the director is God. In documentary, God is the director this is kind of the, <laughs> the ultimate scenario here because you, Peter Jackson had to just find the film by seeing what's available and just by setting a certain standard, like he wasn't going to use something that's inauthentic. He wasn't going to add anything that wasn't real. So any, mm -hmm. any ad that he did is works within those rules. He even can mm -hmm. justify using color in 3D because he says, well, at the time, <laughs> those cameramen, if they had the choice between that shitty um, whatever it was, film camera that they use black and white and 12 frames a second, or a digital color 3D image, most likely they would have picked that one. But even like right. when, he, when he didn't have the footage, but he had a story there that he got through the interviews, he found pictures and and almost it's not a comic book but like magazines from the time where they were drawing some of the right. the the battle scenes he would use those rather than doing any redrawing or graphic work after the fact everything is authentic from the time and yeah again it was found in the editing 
Yeah, and just to give a little context to that in terms of the history of documentary film, because you know, filmmaking existed in 1890, World War One ended in 1918, so there's kind of like a 20, 30-year period where we're getting used to how cameras work, what can be done, et cetera, et cetera. And that was obviously a, 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 a war that cameras played an important part in. But prior to that, you know, like the Spanish-American War, let's say, for example, was right near the beginning of the invention of the movie camera. There was some footage of stuff going on, but it's deteriorated. I've never seen it. Supposedly there's footage of uh, Teddy Roosevelt, you know, running up San Juan Hill to what, I mean, you know, prior to the major, you know, heroic battle part of it. And this stuff would vanish. So what became popular in nonfiction film, and again, keep in mind that people were much more interested in nonfiction when film was first invented because of the sort of amazing novelty of, oh, wait, you mean this is England I'm looking at? Like, holy crap, that's amazing. And then narrative started to take over, and what nonfiction started doing was doing reenactment films. Mm -hmm. And so nonfiction filmmaking really started to go out of style ahead of World War I and then had a resurgence around that time period and then in the 1920s, you had you know these great uh, silent silent documentaries that were incredible visual expor- explorations. And then when audio became a thing, we suddenly had you know narrators and people giving context to what's going on. And you could only go so far back in history with the documentary. But obviously, as filmmaking progressed, you had more and more time between there was just more material for a historical documentary. Like if this movie was made in 1922, it wouldn't be as fascinating as it is now, but also you couldn't go back beyond 1890 to, to make a documentary. And then filmmakers started realizing with a few specific films we can talk about in later podcasts that you could actually use materials from the time. So for example, there's a documentary called city of gold where they actually used animation camera techniques with glass plate negatives that they found from 40 years earlier mm-hmm. of a mining town. So they were able to do those those amazing Kent Burns type camera movements. And suddenly it was like, wait, we can make a documentary about Rome. Let's do it with a painting. So in the same way Jackson was kind of exploring and playing with this stuff, filmmakers were slowly figuring out how you could go way back in the past with it. And of course, he has a ton of footage to work with. But the one other film I'll draw a comparison to is Ken Burns' Civil War, Another movie where you want to be as authentic as possible, but how do you do a documentary when you don't have footage? Mm-hmm. So not only did we have footage of the actual date and time that the battles took place in the actual locations, contemporary footage, right, to mimic that, all the sound effects and, and the sound from that those fields as well. Also, all the sound effects, gunshots, explosions, same thing Peter Jackson did were authentic of the period. And then, of course, you have letters being read by actors who can convey the emotion and stuff like that. So it's cool the way that they found it in, but Jackson even one-upped with this because, of course, interviews existed with the actual soldiers, which did not for the Civil War. So that's kind of the the narrative of this entire movie is the, the interviews that were used. And you want to talk about that, Sven? Right, interviews that he didn't do, obviously, because those guys are not alive anymore. These interviews were done in the 60s and 70s. And then he decided they need to become the voices of this documentary. So there's no narration. There's no Morgan Freeman just wrapping it all up. It's just them talking Mm -hmm. and taking us through when they first started to hear about the war, when they started to get enlisted, when they trained, when they shipped over, what it was like to be in the trenches. You really get this very detailed view of like 
one specific not battalion but this type of soldier mm -hmm. that was in in that area i think it was in belgium somewhere and using Some. using all the elements to tell that story and what what i found really fascinating when i watched it was a these are soldiers that are not used to cameras they don't know what a film camera is this is the first time <laughs> they see one and how that affects how they react like it everybody is constantly breaking the fourth wall in this they always look into the camera and they almost freeze <laughs> which I, peter jackson explained later that this part of it is that they're used to still cameras and you had to like just not move so that you have long <laughs> enough time for the exposure to get the 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 photo out correctly um, so they instinctively mm -hmm. just froze whenever they saw a film camera and then looked at it. And the other thing that I noticed was they were constant. They were smiling every time um, because right. it was such a novelty to them. And they were in the middle right. of a battlefield. And there's some footage there where Peter Jackson and in in that the moment that he talked about those people weren't smiling when he said this footage must have been taken 20 minutes before. They went into the battle, and most of those people didn't make it. And they, yeah. they probably knew at the time this is not going to end well for them. And having looking into their eyes is is just very touching and and shocking. Well, and it's a, and it was a big turning point battle. There were a couple major turning point battles in that, but it's all kind of covered as if it's just. You know, you're not given a lot of, like, historical military context. You're given the experience. But, yeah, mm -hmm. that was one where they first... Obviously, trench warfare had a lot of issues, but that's when they first experimented with what became the style of battle in, in World War II, which is that you would just lay bombs and explosions ahead of advancing troops as they approached the enemy trenches yeah. to kind of create it like an explosion cover for them so you could actually get your troops into those trenches and you can just imagine the difficulty of doing that for the first time and you know they had tank warfare being used for the first time uh tanks being invented realizing oh if we would have just known how effective these were we probably could have won the war just with the first go but anyways yeah it's a really great documentary just in terms of the experience of it and again from post perspective i mean just it's just mesmerizing what what's able to what what's been done with it yep and he also developed a new cinematic language for it because most of the shots are just locked off wide shots but now because of technology was able to zoom in in parts of the shots and still make it really sharp and crisp so then he used that to do pans and zooms and and start really yeah. telling that story more cinematically which is interesting yeah to watch. he he basically did what colin uh wolf coning and colin lowe did with the glass plate negatives in in city of gold with the moving images but that did bring me to the one question i would i will bring up with you before we wrap this up sven okay i will pose you though the i don't want to ruin the movie Though liberty was taken in terms of moving the camera and zooming in and doing these great pushes and turns and stuff, you don't even realize uh, watching it. Do you think that there was room to be more dynamic in the editing, especially in the beginning, to match what was happening in the narration? Are you saying? Say we're talking about. Say we're talking about having to have perfect buttons on our jacket. Why not have an insert of a button? Say I don't remember. Was there an insert of a button? 
No, there wasn't. It was just, it just yeah. all played out in I yeah, not adulterated by the editing. Probably didn't have it, right? Well, but you could just punch in, right? Because if you're breaking yeah. the rules in other places, why not go wild? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, the question is: Is it still? Do you still have enough resolution to go that to blow in that far, or do you need to then really like recreate it? Maybe there's a line that he didn't want to cross. I don't know. And maybe there's something about making it too cutty that would take you out of the experience because it is quite an amazing thing to just hear these interviews and just see this thing playing out and playing out and playing out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was also fascinating to see how he introduced this documentary. He was very understated at the beginning. <laughs> almost right almost in a way where i'm like do you really care about this <laughs> or so, like he felt a little detached but then at the end when you actually get to see him explain why it made sense like he really got into it and he he just didn't want to take away from the experience is what i think happened he just wanted well, you also to see I, it for what it is yeah and i think some of that too is that he didn't expect and it has that vibe the whole doc kind of does yeah I mean, the passion and, and attention to detail and just incredible energy that went into it. I feel like he would have been fine just showing it to friends in his attic for yeah. the rest of his life. And it only played on three screens. I don't think he ever expected that it was going to blow up in, in the way that it did. And he just thought like the 82 World War One aficionados and the cities in which it played would be there. But yeah. nope. He's he's clearly totally into the topic. He's a collector. I think he he talked about several uh, right. cannons that he owned. That he yeah, Ken Burns didn't have his own five hundred pound <laughs> guns or whatever. He was like rolling around that he gave to the sound department so they can fire the cannon and record it, all that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> it was it was interesting to see that he clearly is into that stuff. He had all the original uniforms, and then they. They had the people that did the color correction fly over to look at the uniforms to get the color right and mm -hmm. get the color of the green right uh, for like just nature. He flew out to Belgium to take hundreds of stills to match. It was fascinating to see him. And this wasn't France? Are you sure it wasn't France? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was in Belgium. Um, it was also interesting to see him as he was working on a day-by-day -day basis on this documentary. He wasn't wearing any shoes. <laughs> he would just walk around <laughs> barefooted in, in the in the post with shorts, and uh, he almost looked like a hobbit. <laughs> it reminded me. So. Well, it reminded me of his earlier documentaries as well on on the making of stuff like King Kong, and that's that's one other thing that I think would be worth um talking about and just why we would dedicate a whole podcast to this is that peter jackson especially given the controversy around the academy awards and stuff like that is such a champion of post-production and what goes on in post-production that he made these this great documentary series that i like to show bits of to students about while he was making the film King Kong, I mean, it showed the entire process of the film, and then he did this to a lesser extent in with The Hobbit, and those were very popular just because YouTube was such a thing at the time. But he did these great document. He did these great making week by week making of just this is what's happening on the film this week, this week, this week, and it was such a great uh, appreciative look into what goes on in post production. And I remember 
seeing him they they were off like firing in, in you know shoeless running around in those videos but also they were <laughs> they were firing off period accurate weaponry for king kong like real bullets into valleys and stuff like that just to get the sound right so it was no big surprise to see him rolling his personal world war one cannons into the scene <laughs> yeah. but if you can i mean make an effort to go see it it's incredibly worth it especially if you're interested in post go go check the film out i know it's the most successful documentary of the year but still it it needs support and documentaries like this need to be celebrated seeing on the big screen so they don't all just end up on netflix and amazon which have been great for documentaries and that craft in and of itself but still theater worthy documentaries i'm glad they're getting the attention they are and ironically you know numbers are way up for the the, for the popular documentaries this year so more power to them nice nice it's uh, we should probably warn people that there it's pretty violent at points and it's very loud at points so keep that it's in mind it's about world war 1 yeah you'll you'll see some some pretty shocking imagery it's yeah it's it's horrifying but also nice to experience from a from a theater right as opposed to the front lines and like the thin red line i thought it was really very much focused about like the the terrific experience of war regardless of what you're fighting for because that's sort of the point of view of the soldier is like Mm -hmm. just this utter um, panic and trying to just survive which I thought was really really noteworthy very cool well thanks for going on this journey with us we hope that you get to check the documentary out we appreciate all of the listens let us know what you think of it if you go see it let friends know about the documentary about any documentary that can be seen in theaters and happy. thank you to Curtis for the music and as Sven always says <laughs> happy editing well, I was like, I think that's where the doc was. Definitely not a World War One expert. <laughs> you don't have to. Well, now, now, now the listeners are. <laughs> Who is you know? But there's film to preserve it. For sure. All right, turning off. <laughs>